This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. So we've been talking about classics of Christmas, those, those things that have an enduring quality that, that bring us back, that, that produce that nostalgic feeling that just makes Christmas feel right. It, it brings us back sometimes to our childhood memories or maybe a, a significant holiday that we think back on as just the, the perfect celebration. And those classics remind us of that. And we can't get through a discussion about Christmas classics without talking about Christmas movies, right? So let's together, let me just ask you, uh, I'm going to walk through a brief list of movies. And if, if the movie I, I talk about is a part of your family celebration every year, just raise your hand. You can raise your hand for more than one. I know there's lots of, lots of days to fill up with Christmas movies. So any of these movies that you all watch together, just let me know. Uh, what about Home Alone? Any of the Home Alones? Is that a part of your Christmas celebration? Once you get past the first two, they're not really worth watching anyway. So Home Alone 1 or Home Alone 2, we'll just go with that. Uh, what about, um, let's see, The Christmas Story. There's a great Christmas classic. Yeah, we watch that one. That's usually on TV on, on Thanksgiving Day, isn't it? They just run that all the time so you can catch little pieces of it while you're doing everything. What about Elf? Now that It's hard to call Elf a classic because it's so new, yet... It has staying power. It, it's it's with it's it's one we just keep putting back in and watching every year. You watch White Christmas. We watch White Christmas every year. It's hard to get through the holidays without Bing. He is fantastic. What about uh, Christmas Vacation? We'll we'll say that the the, uh, the TV edited version. We'll just go with that. It's it's become quite a classic. What about uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Nope, not me. I, they put that on TV when I was in high school. During, during school, they played it as like a, a celebration. It was the most boring movie. Maybe it was just because I was a teenager, but I won't watch it now. I, just, I have no desire at all to put that movie on. Um, we were having a discussion uh, among the staff about, about holiday movies and what it is that makes a movie a Christmas movie. And there's, there's a debate. You'd be surprised. Some of our staff likes to debate. There's a debate about... What makes a Christmas movie a Christmas movie? Is it, is it a movie all about Christmas, or is it a movie that has Christmas in it? Is it a movie about something else entirely, and yet the people in the movie celebrate Christmas together? That opens up a whole realm of movies that could become Christmas movies because it happens to be during that time of year. One movie that I would never have thought is a Christmas movie, maybe, maybe you have, is the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. Have you ever thought about that as a Christmas movie? The way, that, the way that the movie opens up, when, when the four children stumble through the wardrobe into Narnia, this magical land, what do they find? It's a land of winter, perpetual winter with no Christmas. And the, the way that the story unfolds is that when Aslan, the, the, the lion, the king, returns, winter turns to spring. Snow melts, ice thaws, life returns and with it, Christmas comes. Santa shows up and gives presents to, to the children. And, and when Aslan comes, comes on the scene, the, the movie changes dramatically. And, and that, that symbolism there is very much the symbolism of Jesus coming to be in among his creation, drawing us into relationship with him. And we think about the expectation that was present in the story of Jesus of this moment in human history. C.S. Lewis is the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
And in another book he wrote called Miracles, he wrote this about the incarnation of Jesus. He says, The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation, that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. But the incarnation of Christ is the, the central idea, the central assertion of all the miracles and really the foundation of our faith, the most significant event in human history, that creation was waiting in expectation for Jesus the Messiah to come, to step into the world and to begin the work of, of changing creation one heart at a time, drawing us into relationship with him. As we think about the written accounts of the birth of Jesus, we're reminded of that, that significance. We're reminded of, of what it means for Jesus to be God with us. And as we begin this morning, I'd like to just read through several of the accounts highlighting the names that were given to Jesus that, that draw us back, that remind us of, of that significance of the incarnation. I know we've covered a bit of this already, but, but before we move into our story for today, this is what I want to talk about with you. And then once we go through the significance of God with us, we'll move into the next the next piece of the story of the birth of Jesus that's unfolding that will be in Luke 2. But right now, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, if you have a Bible with you and you want to read along with me, I would invite you to open up there. The words will be on the screen. If you use the Version app, you can get out a phone or tablet, open up the, the Bible app, the Version Bible app, search under events for Parkview Finley, you'll find scripture and sermon notes there as well. Beginning of verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We read through the story two weeks ago, if you'll remember those details. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And just in this passage, we have two specific names for Jesus that clearly indicate his purpose. The first is, is the name that we, we know him by, Jesus, is a name that means uh, our God saves, that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. And the message that the angel carried to Joseph before Jesus was born, embedded in that, in that message, we find this powerful purpose embedded in the identity of Jesus. It's powerful and also terrible. If you consider what this is to, to speak to the parents of a child that's about to be born and, and remind them, this baby is coming into the world so that when he grows up, he can sacrifice his life for the good of all people. You imagine what that, would, what that would feel like for Mary and Joseph to know even before their baby was born that the purpose of his life was sacrifice. It's hard for me to comprehend what they would have gone through knowing that information. And yet, that is exactly why Jesus entered into the world to save his people from their sins. The second name we read in this account is, is Matthew's commentary on the situation. And, and he reminds us after, after telling about the angel and Joseph that all these things took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. Now, this, this prophet he's talking about is Isaiah. If you turn back into the Old Testament, you can find the passages that talk about the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. This unfolding drama around the people of Israel. They are being assaulted by foreign nations. The people are dismayed. Many of them are, are overcome with the idea that their lives are going to be destroyed. And Isaiah is given this message by God to, to, to talk to his people and remind them of his presence, that, that they can trust the presence of God at work in the world around them, even when they're overwhelmed, even when they're afraid for their very lives, that God is with them and they can turn to God and find peace and comfort. And in that message is embedded this prophecy about the Messiah coming into the, the world, that, that God will literally, physically be with us. And it's in these passages that, that we read this, this uh Prophecy, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. Also, a few verses later, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. Uh, the government will be on his shoulders. The, the content of some of the carols that we sing around, around Christmas, this prophecy about Jesus, who is coming for a very specific purpose. We turn to the Gospel of John. Not typically part of our, our Christmas reading, and yet John tells us about the coming of Jesus in, in a very unique way. He calls Jesus the Word. And he opens up his gospel saying the Word is God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And then we move down to verse 14. Here's what John says. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Jesus is the Word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we learn so much about God through this expression of his love by sending Jesus to dwell among us. What we learn about him is that he knows us. He knows us in a way that a creator knows his creation because God formed us, because God made us with intentionality. He, he knows us better than any other person, than any other thing. And yet still God chose to send Jesus to dwell among us, to be able to relate to us because he has experienced everything that we experience except for sin. He knows what it is to to live and breathe and hunger and thirst. He knows what it is to feel joy and pain, emotion. He knows what it is to, to respond and react to the things that are happening in the world around us. He has shared those experiences. He knows what it is to love and feel loss. And he relates to us in a way that only he can because he has dwelled among us. We also learn that that God is committed to a relationship with us. In the book of Philippians, we read that, that Jesus chose to leave behind everything that was his, equality with God, a place in heaven, to, to, to make himself nothing, to take on the form of a servant, to humble himself and lay down his life. He, he chose to, to sacrifice. We also learn that God is able to provide for us by sending Jesus to be physically present among us. 
physical life that resulted in a physical death that has such spiritual significance that through his sacrifice, he provides for our greatest need, a need for salvation, a need for forgiveness. That is how God demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ. We also learn of God's desire to be with us, of his willingness to come down into creation. Have you ever had a conversation with a toddler and, and, and tried, to, tried to interact with them and, and talk with them and play with them? The best way to do that is to get down on their level, to get face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And it means playing games on the ground. It means, it means humbling yourself and, and, and choosing to, to, to move from your position to a position that they can relate to. This is what God did in sending Jesus to the earth. He chose to come down to our level, to see us face-to-face, to live with us. And to demonstrate to us how much he values a relationship with us. That's what God demonstrated to us through Jesus. And that demonstration helps us to understand how meaningful a relationship with him truly is. It is a relationship that changes our very lives. It is an opportunity for us to surrender wholeheartedly to him. It is an opportunity to, re- to recognize that what we're pursuing isn't the gift that, that God brings. What we're chasing after isn't the idea of salvation, isn't the idea of forgiveness, even though that's what, what's what brings us to the Lord in the first place, many of us. The idea that we come to realize is that what we're, what we're desiring in life is a connection with God. All the things that we've been chasing after, all the things that we've, we've tried to use to fill the void that we feel, the only thing that will fill that is the presence of God in our lives, is living our, our lives in relationship with him, longing for his presence, spending time with him, growing in our understanding of who he is, and, and just resting in him. And that's where we find the life that we're truly called to live, a life uh, surrendered, a life committed, a life wholly changed by our relationship with him. That's what it means for us to fully understand Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. And we have that understanding as we move back into the, the narrative story of the birth of Jesus. Now we've, we've, we've listened in on the story as the angel appeared to Mary and told her about her role in bringing about the Messiah. We listened in as the, the angel talked to Joseph and helped him understand that it was okay to take Mary home as his wife, to, to raise Jesus as their son. Last week, we, we watched as the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field and drew them into the story, and they, they came into the stable with Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in a manger and celebrated with them. And now we have this, this piece of the story that, that feels so separate. It's not a part of, uh, of any decorations. It's not a part of the nativity. It's not even the wise men who will come later. This is this, uh, a unique moment that happened in the unfolding of events of the life of, of Jesus as, as a baby. It's found in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, if you'll read along with me. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, 
this is a completely foreign concept to us. This is a part of the, the law for the people of Israel, part of their, their ritual, part of their lives that, that they followed through on. The timing of this story is, is 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And for that time, Mary, who having just given birth, is considered unclean. She's not allowed to enter into the temple until these 40 days have passed because she's had a son. And according to the law of Moses that you find uh, in Leviticus, uh, this is a part of that story. After those 40 days, she is to go with, with her child and offer sacrifices for herself for ritual cleansing so that she can be allowed to enter into the temple. And then, because she has a firstborn son, she is to offer Jesus to God. Set him aside for service to the Lord. That's what it means to consecrate. She's dedicating him to the Lord. Now, this is a requirement from the law from Exodus chapter 13. We read about when this was first established. Do you know why the people of Israel did this? It was a reminder of how God delivered them out of Egypt, how he, with, with the display of power, drew them out from under the oppression of the Pharaoh. There, there were plagues. There was this incredible scene. And, and the most significant came at the end when every firstborn male in the land of Egypt died. And the people of Israel, their firstborn sons were spared if they were willing to sacrifice a lamb and spread the blood of that lamb on the doorway. The angel of the Lord passed over their homes. And so they celebrate the Passover every year. They honor God and remember his power present in their lives, in their history. This consecration of the firstborn male was to take place for every animal, every child that was born among them. They would dedicate the firstborn male to the Lord. And this is what Mary and Joseph were doing with Jesus. They took him into the temple to dedicate him to the Lord's service. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus would stay in the temple, although that was a possibility. The idea was that every family would go with a redemption payment. They would, they would dedicate the firstborn male, and then they would, they would give an offering to redeem that child or redeem that animal back to take him home. And they made payment that would set him free. And that's so symbolic of the work that Jesus came to do to purchase our freedom, to offer himself as our redeemer, to redeem us from the, the price that we owe because of our sin. And Jesus was dedicated and redeemed, and he became our redeemer, sacrificing himself in order to forgive the sins of the world. That's where Mary and Joseph were at the temple. That's why they were there. And here's what happened while they were there. The presence of Jesus was brought to these individuals who were there in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mar mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the, the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, 
of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This story helps us to see how Jesus makes a significant impact on those who experience his presence. First was Simeon, a man who had, had heard from the Lord, who, who was driven by the Holy Spirit, who, who God spoke to saying, you, you will not die until this moment comes when you see the Messiah. And when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, the, the Spirit inspired Simeon to, to go to that place for the fulfillment of this thing that he had been waiting for, the presence of Jesus. The consolation of Israel. That's a unique phrase to describe the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. What does it mean? It means that the Messiah was coming to, to comfort, to console God's people, understanding all they had been through, recognizing the, all of the things that we, would be fulfilled in the Messiah. He was the embodiment of God's care and comfort, the consolation of their people. And, and Simeon w- was told that he would not die until he saw the emergence of the Messiah who would come to redeem, to pay for their sin, to provide for their salvation. This phrase comes from Isaiah chapter 52, as it talks about how God was going to bring about his plan, redeeming all of Jerusalem, redeeming all of Israel through the Messiah. And Simeon was led by the Spirit to go there, to encounter Jesus. And this moment was the culmination of Simeon's life. It was was that thing that was driving him, that purpose embedded in his soul that he was waiting to accomplish And it was fulfilled this day when Jesus stepped into his life. Finally, he felt fulfilled. He he was at peace, knowing that God had accomplished the thing that he had been waiting for for so long. Can you imagine the satisfaction that he would have felt? First, in, in knowing, without a doubt, the purpose of his life. And two, seeing that purpose fulfilled feeling the satisfaction of knowing not only what I was made for, what I've been waiting for, but, but accomplishing that finally and, and feeling the fulfillment of, of walking through that moment, knowing that you have lived out exactly what God has called you to wait for, to accomplish with your life. Simeon experienced all of that when he saw Jesus. He recognized what he had been waiting for had finally come to pass. This is the kind of purpose that Jesus brings to our lives. In him, we find the definition of our purpose. It it can only come to us from the one who created us. To truly understand what we were made for, we have to find that definition from the one who made us. Nothing else in this world can provide a purpose to us. It can only come from our creator. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we discover the purpose that we were made to fulfill. In him, we find true meaning, find true value that cannot be found anywhere else. And and that means that we no longer have to go searching for that purpose. We no longer have to go searching for that value. And if we're 
honest about our lives, we spend an awful lot of our time and energy pursuing that feeling of purpose and value. Sometimes we look to a career to provide that, that meaning in our lives. We, we work and we train and we give our lives to an occupation, hoping that it will bring fulfillment, hoping that at the end of the day we'll feel like we're accomplishing something significant, and yet day in and day out, even though we're doing good things in this world, there's still a bit of emptiness inside. Sometimes we, we think about relationships to provide purpose in our lives. And we think maybe, maybe starting a family, maybe having kids, maybe, maybe if we could just find a spouse, maybe we, we feel like those relationships will help us understand our purpose. They'll provide value that, that if we're committed to another person, if we're responsible for a young life, maybe, maybe that will provide meaning and value to our lives when it feels so empty. And, and that those things are good. Those things are meaningful, but they can never fill us up. They can never provide the fullness of fulfillment that we find in Christ. Maybe you are giving, serving, finding an organization that you can devote your time and energy to, hoping that a contribution to society will provide fulfillment in your life. And yet, the more you give, the more you spend, the more time you invest, you feel good about those sacrifices, but you also know that it there's still something missing that only God can fill. And it's when we find our identity in Christ, we find our purpose and our value in Him. If we're willing to wait on Him, we realize that He answers in us the longing that we have for a greater purpose, a reason for living. And when we finally surrender to Him, we discover the life we were made to live. We discover the, the value that nothing else can supply. We, we discover the purpose in his presence that, that fills us to overflowing, that, that we want to share with the world around us, that we want to invite other people to experience in the same way. And we're driven by his love. We're driven by his presence to reach into the lives of other people and connect them to him. That's what we find in Jesus. That's what his presence means to us. Simeon found in Jesus the fulfillment of his purpose. He said that Jesus would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of the people of Israel. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. His sacrifice would be for all people, a light to Gentiles, the glory of the people of Israel. Simeon's response to, to encountering Jesus was significant to Mary. She heard what was said about her child, and she marveled at the words that he said, meaningful words, deep words, with a supernatural element that God had orchestrated these events, that this man had just, just showed up at the right moment, led by the Spirit. This ordinary event in their schedule was exactly what Simeon had been waiting for his whole life to be accomplished. And Simeon, Simeon turned to Mary and Joseph and said, he blessed them and, and delivered this news to Mary that, that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. For Mary, hearing about the role that Jesus would play would bring such conflicting emotions. Imagine as a mother hearing someone speak about her child in this way, she'd be filled with pride, filled with joy. And yet, even in that hope, there would be this sorrow 
this pain at the prospect of what was coming for her son as he fulfilled his role as the Messiah. The next encounter in the story is a a prophet named Anna, who's a widow, who who spends her time at, at the temple, night and day worshiping the Lord, fasting and praying as a personal encounter with God. The presence of Jesus inspired her. The presence of Jesus opened her life up to the people around her. Since the death of her husband, she had been focused on fasting and praying of her, her personal relationship with the Lord. And when she met Jesus, she began to speak to all those who were waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. She spoke to them about Jesus. She let them know that the Messiah was here, that she had encountered him, and he became the focus of her life. Mary and Joseph returned with Jesus to Nazareth, and Jesus grew, became strong. He was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him. And all these details come together to support this identity of Jesus as the Messiah, the culmination, the fulfillment of prophecy. And the purpose of hearing from Simeon and Anna is not, not to validate the identity of Jesus, but it's for us to recognize the, the response of these two people to the presence of God in their lives was they came face to face with Jesus. Simeon found in Jesus the thing that he had been waiting for his entire life. And he found that purpose fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. Anna was full of gratitude because of what God had brought to his people through Jesus, and she recognized him as their redeemer. When we are willing to see Jesus for who he is, when we're willing to acknowledge his presence in our lives, he brings about the same kind of change in us. He gives our lives new meaning and purpose, but we have to be willing to accept the truth about him, that he is God in the flesh who made his dwelling among us. He is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, and we have to be willing to give him room in our lives. We have to be willing to open our hearts to him and allow him to make the change that he needs to make in us. The right to be everything that he is. You see, the impact that Jesus makes in our lives is determined by our response to his presence. His presence makes a significant impact, but the measure of that impact is determined by how we respond to him. We can acknowledge that Jesus is the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior, and walk away from that unchanged. But when we open our hearts to him, when we open our lives to him, when we recognize that he has gone to incredible lengths to make sure that we would be able to encounter his presence, we discover him in a whole new way, and the impact that he makes on us changes us completely. And we have a decision to make about his presence in our lives. We have a decision, each of us, to make about how we will respond to Jesus, Savior, and Messiah. As we give him room, to be present in our lives. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for demonstrating your your love to us through Christ. We thank you for, for invading our lives with your presence. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to your presence. I I pray that you would help us see the value of, of living our lives with you and for you. Lord, I pray that you would make the changes that you need to make in us as we surrender to your presence. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.